morning, friends. How are you? I'm good. I hope you're good here. At, uh, by the way, again, if we've not met Charlie's name, Charlie Salamone, lead pastor here. And we've been doing a series on the New Testament book of Acts. Let's put uh, a verse on the screen that should probably be familiar to you at this point. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This should be familiar because it's been on the screen pretty much every week since the beginning of the year. And the reason is, if you look at the book of Acts, this verse right here is kind of like a summary verse for the whole book. The rest of the book is just this playing out. And actually, you could also go a little farther and say that everything that has happened in history with the church has really been this playing out ever since it was spoken by Jesus. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses until the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth, which is, it's, it's us now. So we've been looking at this, and we've been waiting, and we've been asking for this. And we have taken our time. And we've had a special focus on this word power and trying to answer the question of what it means. What should we expect? What is God saying here that will happen to the church? You receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And we consider this first from the standpoint of looking what does this power do internally? This should all be familiar to you if you've been here. Uh, internally, this is knowing the love of God that surpasses knowledge, meaning it's more than head knowledge, but it's heart knowledge. There is a power there. There is a sense of assurance that comes with this power, assurance that he is our God and we are his. Uh, there is what Peter called inexpressible joy, or in the King James Version, joy unspeakable. I just like that for some reason, joy unspeakable. There's that. There is what, uh, there is, uh, what else? Um, last week, there is a living hope, a hope that lives inside of us. So this is the internal power, a uh, hope, a joy, a peace, a confidence that we are God's, we belong to him, a sense of his love. These are the inner workings of the Spirit's power, that which has been promised. But, not but, and, and there is more to this power, though. As it's spoken here, it says you're going to be witnesses. And at the end of the book of Luke, which is kind of the partner book to the book of Acts, because they were written by the same person, at the end of the book of Luke, the way that Jesus says it is, you will be clothed with power. There is an external working of this power. And after five or six weeks of discussing the internal working, I think it's time for us to dive into considering the external working. Does that sound okay? All right. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> uh, let's turn the page to Acts chapter 2 and see how this works out. Beginning in verse 1. 
When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they said, aren't all these who are speaking Galeans? How then is it that each of us hears them in our native language? All right, where should we begin? Uh, in verse 2, it says, suddenly a sound like a blowing violent wind came. I've read this account a lot of times over the years, and I read it Monday morning, and that word suddenly, and then also what it says in the beginning of verse 7, utterly amazed. Suddenly something happened. There was a, there was a sound of a wind, and there was a look of, there was they saw a fire of some sort rest upon people, and they heard things, but it happened suddenly, and everyone was utterly amazed. Uh, yeah, I've read this lots of times, but Monday I read it, and that suddenly part kind of messed with me a little bit, touched a nerve. <laughs> so the day before, this was a week ago, the day before, I was here, you, you were here, a lot of you, and we talked about the living hope, the hope that lives inside us. It was, a, it was a good Sunday. You know, I got a lot of feedback. People were encouraged, and um, God spoke to us. Yes, it was good. Um, but sometimes what happens to me on Sundays is I kind of crash afterwards. It's... Um, I don't know, it's probably partly a chemical thing. You know, you, you're going, 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 and then you run out of, I don't know, dopamine or whatever else is floating around in your head. I know that it happened to the prophet Elijah, right? He saw, he saw fire from God on Mount Carmel, and then he just kind of crashed and uh, went into a depression of sorts. And, well, uh, as it was last Sunday, I was laying in bed, it was 10.30, Aaron fell asleep, and I just was feeling so not good, and I was kind of frustrated with myself. I was like, I just got done telling all these people about this living hope that lives inside of us, and I just feel like something's wrong, and I just can't find peace so I got out of bed, and I got, uh, got my jacket on, and I left the house, and I walked, and I just felt like, I, I, didn't, even know what, I didn't even know what I was going to say, but I just felt like something is not at rest inside of me, so I just need to get alone and pray. And I would really advise you to do that. It works. And uh, so I walked. And I prayed, and I didn't really know what was troubling me, but I can tell you what came out when I prayed. What came out was a desire and maybe even a discontentment 
that God has not been doing more. And maybe you can make a case that there's something wrong with me. I should just be thankful. I should just be thankful. I should just be thankful. But maybe it's, well, you read the Bible and God is sometimes very much willing to do more. And it was a good Sunday last week. It was good. But I want to be honest with you about myself. Sometimes I really want this suddenly. Utter amazed. Suddenly something happened. They were utterly amazed. Where suddenly, suddenly God shows up. That, that strikes something in me. Suddenly what happened here was, was a, a sound of a, a blowing and violent wind. Sometimes when I'm up here, I just like, sometimes when I'm up here, when I first come up, I don't say anything, and I just listen. I think maybe, maybe today we're going to hear it. We can do that for a moment. We can just listen for a moment. I don't hear anything. Not right now. And that brings me to my next point. So Elijah, Elijah, uh, he was depressed and God found him. And God said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? In other words, what's wrong? What's on your mind? And Elijah, in essence, says, there's, there's not enough happening. God, you're not doing enough. You're not doing enough. Um, my expectations are not being met, is what he essentially said. And first, God gave him a little bit of a nap and something to eat. <laughs> so there is something chemical going on, I really think. God's like, you need a nap, you need something to eat. And he, he does that. But then, later, Elijah's up. And uh, again, it's like, what are you doing here, Elijah? What's on your mind? And Elijah says the same thing. He wanted more. And it's a similar, it's kind of a parallel occasion of something that happened to Moses, if you know the story. Moses also said to God one day, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. And it was that same desire for more, more of your presence, God, more of your spirit. And for both Elijah and Moses, God was willing to grant that desire. And so what God said to Elijah on this day is, okay, the Spirit of the Lord is going to show up. Go stand on the mountain. And so Elijah went to the mountain. Do you know this story? Well, you're going to hear it. He went to the mountain, and there was a wind. Like we read in Acts 2, there was a wind. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And there was fire, Acts 2. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. And there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And on that day, there was a whisper. And the Lord was in the whisper. And this is my point. This is the point for us. We're reading about the fire, about the wind, and I want that. I want that. Suddenly, utterly amazed. Suddenly, the work of God. I'm going to keep asking for that, and I would ask you to keep asking for things of that nature, yes. God has promised 
to answer our prayers for his spirit. But how and what that looks like when, that is his prerogative. When he wants to show up in a mighty wind and an earthquake and a fire before our eyes, he will do it. And when he wants to show up as a whisper, he will do it. I talked with you guys who were here on Wednesday. We've been talking about this, the spirit falling upon the church. And I said, what does that look like to you? When you dream, when you dream, what does that look like? And I'm actually very impressed with you guys. I'm very impressed. Because the answers that I got were all the things that God really cares about. What does it look like when the Holy Spirit pours himself upon a church? When Jesus pours the Holy Spirit on us, what does it look like? And I heard unity, love, giving, caring for one another. I don't know if you know, but those are the things that God really cares about. That's the first things. We can have the fire. We can have the wind. If we don't have that, we fail. We've gained nothing. We are nothing. That is the most important and, not but, but and. And I'm still going to ask for the wind and the fire. And there's a reason that I'm asking for it. There's a reason. It's not just because I want a show. It's, there's something else on my mind. So here on this day, what happened was they heard a wind, they saw a fire, and people started speaking in tongues. Okay. Oh. It's just, there's a lot. There's just a lot to say about this. And there's other points that I want to make, but it's, it's, it's a topic that I can't just move on from, and I shouldn't. There's good things to be had, but it's just, there's a lot to say. We might go five or 10 minutes over today. I'm just gonna tell you in advance. <laughs> I'm going to try not to, but it might happen. So some people started speaking in tongues, meaning they started speaking in a language that they were not familiar with by the Spirit's power. The Spirit gave them utterance to be speaking something they didn't understand. But other people understood it, people who were of that language. That's why I read, and that's why they were amazed. How does this person know the dialect and the language where I come from. It doesn't make sense. And they're talking about the glories of God. How is, how's that happening? So in the Bible, people speak in tongues. That's what it's called, but it, it means languages. They speak in languages at different times, and it really serves different functions. That's why this is a, a little bit of a longer conversation. There's not just one function of the gift of tongues. The way that it's most commonly practiced today is the gift of tongues is used as a prayer language, a way to connect with God, with your heart, and kind of bypass your mind. And some people say that that is not the biblical way. I would argue that's one of the biblical ways. That's exactly what's going, that, that's exactly what's being described in the first parts of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to man, but to God, utters mysteries in his spirit. Um, it's absolutely spoken of as a prayer language. And there's, there's more we can say about that, but that is one of the functions. Another function is it's spoken in the same way. 
Um, but someone else, someone else is, just as one person is given utterance by the Spirit, someone else is giving an interpretation. Someone who does not speak the language that was just spoken, but suddenly, just as you said it, I had a sense of what it means, and this is what it means. So it can function as kind of a message for the church, a message of prophecy, if you want to call it that. But it can function as a way of delivering a message to the church. That's the second way you see the gift of tongues happen in the Bible. And then there's the third way. And the third way is this. In this case, it is neither a message of prophecy, and it is also not simply a prayer language, but it is a sign. It is a sign. Let me show you what I mean by that. And this is a verse that I've also read to you a number of times since we've started this series. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning of verse 3. How shall we escape our so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. You see, sometimes the gospel was spoken, and there were manifestations, miraculous things that took place that confirmed, that's what it says, confirmed the gospel. And beloved... This is why I desire the fire and the rushing wind. This is why I want those things. Because I feel like when these things happen, people pay attention, as it is in the book of Acts. This happened, these things happened, and the people were amazed, and they're like, what does this mean? It's like I read about, and I think very often, of Philip. He was in a town that did not know anything about the Lord, but it says the people, when they saw the miraculous things done, they listened with one accord to the words of Philip. You see, these miraculous things played a role in getting the attention of the people and confirming the power behind the message. When I look at the present condition of the church, specifically the church here in Western um, North America, the Western world, the post-Christian world that has moved on from that old, outdated way of thinking, I read about it and I look around and I feel like, wow, I really feel like a, a fresh move of God's spirit, of God's testifying power would be really helpful. And so I ask for it. And I, and I ask you to ask for it. It's God's prerogative if he wants to show up in a mighty wind or a whisper. But I'm asking for the mighty wind. And I just feel like, I just feel like it's in line with God's heart. He wants to show himself. He said, hallowed be your name. So I've said these things lots of times. I can't go off on those tangents. But bringing it back, here on this day, tongue serves as a sign. Now let's clarify, the gift of tongues does not always serve as a sign. Actually, this is also laid out in 1 Corinthians 14. If there is no one there to interpret it, it's actually more of a hindrance to what God's trying to do. Because what Paul says is, if all of you are speaking in tongues and there's no one there to interpret what's going on and someone walks in, he's going to think that you're all totally out of your minds. That's not helpful. So if there's no one to interpret tongues, what, what the Apostle Paul specifically says is, if there's no one to interpret, let him speak to God alone which again shows prayer language, right? 
Let him speak to God alone if there's no one there to interpret it. But in this case, it's more than people being there to interpret it. It's people seeing, hey, this is my language. How do you know it? And I've heard stories about that happening. Uh, Chris McCooey might be floating around. He told me a story of his father doing that, uh, speaking in a language, and the person was like, how do you know my language? Um, it happens from time to time. I've, I've, I've heard those stories. You see, it's functioning as a, as a different purpose there. Um, yeah, there's more we could say about tongues. That's why it's hard for me to start the conversation because there's so many natural questions that come with it. Good questions, questions that should be asked. Um, my first time being exposed to the teaching of tongues or hearing about tongues, it was something that I remember. I was a new believer. I wandered into a certain uh, Christian group on campus that was more charismatic, which is the word used to describe churches that focus more on these things. And uh, it was a charismatic group, and the person was talking about uh, the Holy Spirit baptism, and he was talking about the gift of tongues, and uh, he said that, you know, this is what happens when someone is filled with the Spirit, and... Um, well, I was listening, and there was also this girl next to me who was listening. Both of us were there for the first time. And he's like, I can pray for you and lay hands on you, and, and you know, you'll, you can speak in tongues. And uh, so first, he prayed, and he laid hands on this girl. And I don't remember what came out of her mouth. But I remember the look on her face. Her face was lit up. There was definitely something at play that was not of her. She was not faking it. There was definitely an overflow going on of just joy. I remember her face. It was, it was powerful. Wow. And she, she, I don't remember the sounds of the tongue she was speaking, but she was speaking, and it was, it was remarkable. I was like, wow. And it's like, okay, you're next. <laughs> All right, I, I, I am ready. <laughs> and he laid hands on me and he prayed. Nothing happened. <laughs> what? <laughs> and he's like, well, try thinking about this or try thinking about this. Let's do it again. And I'm like, okay, let's do it again. <laughs> Nothing happened. Sometimes God comes with a wind and, and a fire and sometimes he comes with a whisper. But... He didn't tell me that. Really, what he said was, this will happen, and it didn't. So I walked out of there, and I'm like, well, I guess I must have done something wrong. It wasn't a very good feeling. And all that to say is this. All that to say is this. I don't like that approach. I don't think it's biblical to just say, hey, you can speak in tongues. Let's do it. Sometimes, what, what would have been a, a much better approach would be to be like, this is, this is a gift of the Spirit, and I can ask for you to have this. But God, it, the verse is still on the screen, right? And gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gift of tongues is one of them, distributed according to his will. Just like he decides if there's going to be a wind, he decides if there's going to be a fire, he decides if there's going to be a whisper, he has distributed each gift the way that he desires, when he desires. As it turned out for myself, the Lord had different gifts 
planned for me different gifts of his Holy Spirit. And at a different time, that specific gift, that gift did come to me, but just not on that day. It wasn't God's will. He had other things that he was working on in my life at that time. It just, it wasn't time for that. So this is what I'm trying to say is sometimes when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I've noticed that people naturally, we look at it. We look at the things that God did. We look and we say, okay, step one, step two, step three. Okay, you lay hands, you pray, and then the Holy Spirit does this. Kind of like a, a formula, kind of almost like, like the Holy Spirit is a machine. And if you hit this button, this button, this button, then you get this result. And I am married, okay? And naturally, I want to make my wife happy. I want us both to be happy. I want there to be romance in the house. And I have often thought of, well, what, what, did, what, did, what did we do last time? What did I do last time? I did this, this, I, I did the dishes, I did this. Okay, all right, all right, all right. I'm gonna do that again, and then I'm gonna get that result. And I've learned that it doesn't always work that way. And the reason is, my wife's not a machine. She's a person with a mind of her own. And what's much better is when I treat her as a person and I try to connect with her as a person. And something I'll tell you is, the Holy Spirit is a person and he does act different at different times. The way that things happen in Acts chapter two is not the same way that they happen in Acts chapter four. There's similarities, yes, but it's not the same. And the way that it happens in Acts chapter four is not the same way that it happens at other times when the Holy Spirit falls through the book of Acts. And really the point is he's a person and let's not, over, let's not turn it into a formula where if you do this and if I lay hands on you like this, then you'll speak in tongues this way. Rather, let's say, these are good desires to want. These, as in, desire the, whole, desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially that you may prophesy, and we'll get to that in a moment, but desire all the gifts. Here's something that might challenge you. When you hear about the gift of tongues, some people are like, oh no, I, yeah, that's not for me. What's going on there? Like, you should want this. Desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy, but desire all of them. You should want it. I mean, it's God's desire when and how he wants to do it, but it is a good gift, and it is something to be desired, and it's something to be asked for. I believe that. It's God's... If you ask for this gift and nothing happens today, that's okay. I ask for a mighty sound. You saw me. You saw. I waited. I listened. I'm still not hearing anything. But I'm going to keep asking for that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Ask for the gifts of the Spirit. Um, the gift of tongues, oh, there's a lot I could say about it. And uh, there's a lot I did say about it. Um, but to summarize, uh, yes, yes, it is a prayer language, a way of connecting with God. And many people will tell you how they've been blessed by this gift. And it is a good thing to ask for. When the church gathers collectively, it's not helpful unless there's someone to interpret. Um, and, uh, but on this occasion that we read about, it is a sign. And that's a way that it can take place also. Um, so perhaps more on that later. Um, I do have more things to talk about. 
So like I say, it is a sign on this day. Acts chapter 2, beginning verse 12, says, amazed and perplexed. So they're hearing this in their own language. And they say, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they had too much wine. So again, the sign, it's gotten their attention. What does this mean? It's functioning in that place. That's, that's so much what I want. Not necessarily this. This would be good. It would be great. But something to get people's attention to say, what's the message? What is the message linked with this sign? What is this sign pointing to? And uh, here the apostle Peter, well, well, he begins to speak. Begin verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here... Peter is saying, what you're seeing is a fulfillment of the promise, the Old Testament promise of God pouring out his spirit. And here he says, um, the spiritual gift, if you know the word, that's, that's what we referred to earlier, the gift of tongues is, is one of the gifts, the ways the Holy Spirit uh, works when he falls upon people. Um, another one is the gift of prophecy. Now, prophecy... Um, it's here he, he gives kind of examples. It's, there's kind of like a parallel language, <clears throat> meaning, meaning the same thing. Uh, your, your people prophesize. They will, they will see visions. They will dream dreams. Um, and this seems to be, you know, some people say, uh, like, every believer should speak in tongues. I don't think that's true because I read that there are different manifestations of the same spirit. Um, but if there is one gift that seems to be the one that you should really want, it's prophecy. That's here is what it's spoken of, of my sons, your sons and your daughters, like this is the gift that will be, that will be uh, specifically given to many people. Now, what does this mean? First, I already quoted it. It's spoken more than once in the book of Corinthians. But it says, desire the spiritual gifts. So I think that applies to all of them. Desire them. Especially prophecy. There's something about this gift that you should want. Does that challenge you, by the way, that you're supposed to want this? Desire it. Desire it. I got it. Text from Cheryl this week. <laughs> I want to prophesy, she said. She was at a conference. Maybe she'll talk about that next week. Um, but that's good. That's a work of God working in her heart. Like, I want this. I want this. I want, when you say you want a prophecy, what that means is I want it, I want it 
I want to encounter God with a message for his people. Um, I got an email, I got an email last week from someone who said they had a vivid dream about me and this happened. And it, it had a resonance to it that I've been thinking about. I mean, that's, those are private matters. Sometimes prophecy is personal. Uh, the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, don't forget the word of prophecy that was spoken to you, about you. You see that there, with prophecy, there is a desire for that personal nature, a word of God for me, a word of God for us. Here's something. The Spirit falls in different ways at different times. And what happens in Acts chapter 2 is powerful. And yes, I want that, but there's something I want more. What happens in Acts chapter 3 is powerful. You got a man who couldn't walk. Spirit comes upon him, he gets up. I want that. There's something I want more. Acts chapter 4, spirit falls again. Mighty wind again. Something I want more. The great awakening. The great awakening. The revivals that we've talked about. Oh, when salvation spread through the land. Wow, I want that. Something I want more though. We've talked about all these revivals. The revival of the early 1900s in Los Angeles, Zuzu Street, and how that spread. Something I want more. The Jesus People revival. Salvation spread through the hippies of all people. The un an unexpected group of people to find Jesus was the hippies, and they found, they found Jesus in mass. There's something I want more. What do I want more? What do I want more than, than Acts chapter 2? I want the unique way that the Holy Spirit wants to fall on us. You see, it's different each time. I don't want to say, this is going to happen if we do this. Instead, I want to say, Lord, have your way with us. We want more. And that has really been the prayer that I feel, I hope, that I've been leading you in since we started this series. Lord, we want more of you. We're hungry for you. We're thirsty. You've said that you are a father to us and a father knows how to give gifts to his children, specifically this gift of the Holy Spirit. We want more. We want more of your Holy Spirit gifts upon us. And specifically, we're told to want this specific gift of prophecy, meaning to hear from God, to encounter God. <clears throat> oh... Okay, more on that later. I mean, we're doing really well on time, by the way. I told you, you're gonna be maybe going over a few minutes, maybe not. Okay, um, where was I? Ah, yes, ah, yes. So, um, Peter says this, these are gonna happen, he says, in the last days. Now, theologically, people sometimes say, do you think we're in the last days? And really, the biblical answer is yes. Because the way <clears throat> in redemptive history, the way the Bible calls the last days is everything that happened from this moment on until Jesus returns. It's marked by a certain period. And one of the marks of the last days is God's people prophesy. The sons and the daughters, men and women as in his spirit falls on people in power. That's one of the marks of the last days. And then he says this thing about, I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, 
blood and fire and billows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, here, fire, it means something entirely different, doesn't it? Before, fire was just a sign to get people's attention and show the power of God upon the message. Here, fire, as it is described in connection with blood and smoke, here it's talking about the coming judgment of God. That is certainly part of the Pentecost message. And if you look at revivals throughout history, this is sometimes, especially in the Great Awakening, very front and center, this aspect of the message, the aspect of God's coming judgment. It's something to be very aware of, not to shy away from. It's something to speak as the Spirit gives utterance. As in, I don't walk down the street with a sign that says, repent or burn. That's not my style. But sometimes that's the appropriate word. God is going to judge the world in righteousness. And that's something that sinners should be aware of. But we need not live in a place of despair because, verse 21, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. As much as that is true, this is also true. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And how easy is that? How easy is that to call upon the name of Jesus, to turn to him, to believe in him? And that, if you keep reading, that's precisely the point that he makes when he gets a little farther to verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. The wording there is really interesting in lots of different ways. He says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. That's kind of... That's not something that gospel preachers will usually say because we want to make the very important point that you can't save yourselves. Only Jesus can save you. So why does here he say save yourselves? And the reason is there is indeed something you have to do. Okay? Don't just sit there. With your life, don't just carry on and live like everyone else. There is absolutely something you have to do and that is what he says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent means turn. Turn with your attitude. Turn with your heart. Turn to him. Call upon him. These are the things that happens in the heart. It's not as important what happens in the mouth, although there are times that that is important also. But what's more important is what happens in the heart. You can do it with your mouth and not do it in your heart. In your heart, you turn to Jesus as Savior. I need you. I need you to live in me. I believe in you. Turning from a place of unbelief to a place of belief. Turning from a place where Jesus does not have prominence as king to a place where you say, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my king. I need you. I will fail you, but you won't fail me. Help me. How easy is that? How easy is that to say, help me? Jesus, save me. Jesus, help me. That's at the center. That is the message that the sign points to. Okay? I really want to talk more about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk more about that today. I have more things to say on the matter. But something that can be lost in the conversation of the gifts of the Spirit is 
the message of the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit primarily does not want to glorify himself. The Holy Spirit wants to point to Jesus. Jesus is king. That is the message. That is the anointed message. Jesus is king. He is savior. He saves all who call upon him. We are people who need salvation. He is our savior and he is our king. He reigns over everything. Do you know that he is, he is both Lord and king. He reigns over all things. Everything is under his control. Every hair on your head is under his authority. He can do as he wills. And that's reason to trust him. That's reason to give him your life because everything is at his command. He is king. Let's exalt him in our heart, in our mind. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. So uh, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Turn for the forgiveness. That's another work of the Holy Spirit, that assurance you're forgiven. The Holy Spirit is likened to a lawyer. We've talked about this. And what the lawyer says is acquitted, forgiven, innocent. This person is innocent. By the blood of Jesus, we are innocent. Our sins have been paid for. Innocent. Righteous. Forgiven. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit for us. In the name of Jesus. And it says, get baptized. Repent and be baptized. And whenever you say this, someone wants to ask the question and say, well, you don't really have to get baptized, right? It's just like about believing. Like, you can believe and not get baptized. And on one hand, I would say, yeah. But on another hand, I would say, why are you asking that question? <laughs> uh, Charles Spurgeon, a very known preacher from the 1800s, he said, it's kind of a wicked question if you ask me. <laughs> As in, like, what, what, are you, what are you getting at? Like, let's just ignore the word of God? Are you saying, hey, because if you're saying this, if you're saying, hey, can I just ignore God's word and still be saved? Because the answer to that is that's a no, okay? Because if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you listen and you tremble at his word and you want to do what it says. And if it says get baptized, you want to get baptized. Um, so... Uh, repent and be baptized. Baptism is a, is a sign and an expression of salvation, and um, and it's and it's a command for us. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And hear this, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is fascinating to me because this is the first time the gospel was ever preached by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lift it up. This is uh, the first time. And if I go to someone. Um, who is your everyday Christian? And I say, what is the gospel? And a lot of times you will hear, believe in Jesus and you will be saved and you'll go to heaven, which is all true. But it's very noteworthy on this day, Peter didn't even mention going to heaven when you die. He didn't even mention the fact that heaven is going to be here on earth. Very true, important things. Instead, he said, this is the promise. Believe and what will happen? And you will receive the promise, the promise of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's not just about the things you get. It's not just about um, a mechanical, you do this and you get this. God is a person. What you will get is God. 
Believe and you will get God in your life through the Holy Spirit. A person will come and dwell with you and he will lead you. And when you're troubled at 1030 at night on a Sunday, you can get out of bed and you can talk with God and he'll hear your prayers and he'll guide you. He will be with you. He will be your God. That is the gift. That is the promise. The Holy Spirit, God in your life forever. Here's a word. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That's the promise. I'll come to you. And when he said, I'll come to you, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. He was talking about this. The Holy Spirit. He will come. Now, um, Cheryl's going to come up. Hold on for a moment, Cheryl. Because one more thing. Regarding the spiritual gifts, it says in 1 Corinthians, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. There's a lot to say about this. There really is. I mean, just read a portion of 1 Corinthians. I'm not going to put it on the screen, so just listen. If the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquires, and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and brought under the judgment by all as the secrets of their heart are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So here's just what I said. If there's not someone to interpret, tongues aren't really helpful. In fact, they can be a hindrance. People can think you're out of your mind. But if you're prophesizing, if you're prophesizing, people will come in and they'll say, oh, something is going on. This, they're speaking things that speak right to my heart. And it will be a sign that God is truly among you. Again, this is why I desire the gifts of the Spirit. The same reason I put Hebrews on the screen. as a way to confirm the gospel. It is a power that testifies the God that we proclaim is true and with us. A little more. Verse 26, hear this. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. So here, different things. Revelations, a hymn, a tongue, different ways the same Spirit manifests in different ways. We should not lay hands on someone and say, this is how the Spirit's going to come into your life at this time. Instead, we should lay hands and ask more, more gifts. And if tongues are on your mind, you can ask for that. Okay? If prophecy is on your mind, ask for that. It was on Cheryl's mind. Ask for that. Ask for that and believe that he is going to fill us. Because what really strikes me, Peter is, Paul here is describing, everyone's coming together. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three at the most should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. So there's a setting in which you can speak in tongues with gathered people. In the sense of like, you're together and someone feels it. Someone feels like, I, I feel like I have a tongue. Be like, okay, let's, let's give it a shot. Go, go. And then you might ask the group, can anyone interpret this? And perhaps someone will say, you know what? I think I know what it means. And then they might speak. And then it serves kind of as a role of prophecy. Or they might speak in a tongue and someone's like, I, you know what? No one has anything. Okay, well then that's for you and God. Speak to God as a prayer language. It's not helpful for the group. Um, he says, if there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Verse 29 says, two or three prophets should speak and the other should weigh carefully what is said. So if someone does speak in a prophecy or someone speaks in a tongue and someone interprets, it doesn't mean that we accept it like the Bible. It's not infallible. 
Prophecy is to be tested. It's supposed to be weighed. We're supposed to consider it, okay? Because this is not an infallible thing. And for some, for some, some people are very afraid of this whole conversation because there's room for error. But you know what? There's room for error in everything we do. You know, the band could sing a wrong note. I could say something that's not true. It's like, at the end of the day, we're always dependent on God. Um, so, and this is very interesting. So you got these people speaking, he's describing it, and he says, and if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. And what strikes me is how different this is than our current way of living as Christians. Here, he's, this is a picture of a church with the Holy Spirit poured out upon them. He's like, you guys can all prophesy, just take turns. And if one person is prophesying and then a revelation comes to someone else at the same moment, it's okay to interrupt in that situation. It's like, holy smokes. There is so much Holy Spirit power going on that it's almost like we need to organize it so it's not chaos. We need to do it orderly. And it's like, do we even have that problem? Is the Holy Spirit poured upon us so much that we need to figure out how do we do this orderly? No, I don't think so. I just don't see that happening. That's why I say, we want more. We want more. We want more. And if we get so much of the Holy Spirit poured out that we have to figure out how to do it more orderly, that's a problem that I welcome. Okay? You know what I don't want? Is so little sense of power and overflow that we don't even have to solve that problem because it's not a problem. Okay? As in, there's no problem because there's no chaos being caused by overflow because everyone was just quiet and dull and there's nothing there. Okay? Um, I don't think that's true of you, by the way. I don't think that you're quiet and dull. But I do think that the word overflow, um, maybe there's more to be had if we want that. And, um, and my summary, Cheryl, you can come up now. My summary is this. Ask for more. Want more. Ask specifically for some of the things we talked about. Ask for more. Want more. Believe that God wants to give us more. But at the same time, we don't dictate. It's going to be this gift at this time. It's going to be this wind at this time. Sometimes it's a whisper. Sometimes it's a wind. But he is going to give us the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And he wants us asking for more. All right, Cheryl. The Lord is good. I'm glad that if you're clapping because you feel like God is speaking to you, then I'll accept that. Awesome. All right, well, we're going to do our Q&A time. And so if you have a question in the room, you can raise your hand. We have a mic coming around. So we have a question over here already. Um, Cheryl, I have a question for you. Oh. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, what, hap what happened that, 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 that made you feel like, I want this? I'm um, I was at a conference. This is what I do when I go on vacation, apparently. Um, I was at a conference on the Holy Spirit. Um, and I think that God uh, orchestrated it that way because um, I actually thought I'd booked a flight for April and then discovered that I'd accidentally booked the flight for January. <laughs> and very much by accident, and I would have missed the flight entirely had I not been checking for a really silly reason. But so I ended up being like, well, <laughs> I'm in Vancouver on the West Coast at this time, and Portland is where the conference happened, and it's only a like four-hour drive away, four and a half. 
So I was like, I guess I'm going to do this. And so I did. And uh, actually, prophecy was one of the main focuses of the weekend. Um, and just it was just a really amazing time of basking in the presence of the Holy Spirit, of basking in God's love especially. Um, that's what they started and ended the conference with. Uh, as Charlie said, that's what the Holy Spirit convicts us of the most. That's his most powerful work in our lives is convincing us of God's love for us. And so that was a really powerful weekend. And yeah, prophecy, I'd just been thinking about it um, with, um, like I had talked to Barb just before I left and thinking about, you know, I'm going to this conference. God must have some reason for me to be there because he clearly just like made it happen. And uh, so prophecy just kept coming up in my mind. And uh, I don't know that I'm like a prophet yet, but it's something that I eagerly desire. And I'm working on it with some spiritual directors. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I, yeah. That's I, I'll have you more to prepared, say. So. I'll have more to say later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> For sure. I just love it though, because that's exactly what he told us to want. It's yep. something we should want. Yeah. And, um, okay. Yeah, okay. All right, what do we got here? So we have a question over here. Do we have a mic? Sorry, I got super distracted and forgot to look at my phone. Uh, good morning, Pastor. Uh, I just want to ask about uh, speaking in tongues. And we know that speaking in tongues is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. My question is, if somebody is speaking in tongues in this congregation, uh, if, uh, if you stop, it's one way of grieving the Holy Spirit, and uh, it's the hindrance of manifesting the gift. What was that? Can you repeat the question one more time? If somebody is speaking in tongues in the congregation, and we know that it is the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's one way of grieving the Holy Spirit and hindering the manifestation of the gifts. Okay. So if you, hin if you tell someone to stop speaking tongues, are you kind of hindering the gift and the work of the Spirit kind of? And grieving also the Holy Spirit? And grieving the Holy Spirit. It's a good question. Um, so on one hand, the scriptures say, do not forbid tongues. Okay? Do not forbid them. And like I say, there is a way, if someone feels like, uh, every, it, it says, um, do not forbid tongues, this is 1 Corinthians, but everything should be done orderly, okay? There's been times where someone has been, like, speaking in tongues in a way that is distracting and not orderly, and I've had to say, hey, th this is not the biblical way to do this. But if I was to say, hey, they're not allowed here, period, that that would be a problem. Instead, just like, you know, like I might have a prophecy, like someone, someone had a dream. Someone had a dream and they said it was a vivid dream, it was about me and they shared with me. Now, if we were doing our service and they just came up and they just interrupted everyone and said, this is the dream I had, I'd be like, hey, that isn't the appropriate way to do this. In the same way, if you feel like God's put a tongue on your heart. Now, here's the thing. There are times during the music where I will be speaking in tongues and you won't hear it because it's very quiet. And that's just a way that I'm connecting with God. I would never forbid you from doing any of that. Absolutely do it. But if you're drawing attention to yourself, 
by doing that loudly, well, that demands someone to interpret. Otherwise, it is what? Otherwise, it is just making people think you're out of your minds if, if an outsider comes in because they don't know what's going on. I mean, that's really the way that it's laid out. I want to encourage speaking in tongues, um, but also everything should be done in order. That's exactly how it's spoken. Um, good question. Thank you. All right, here's a question from uh, online. When I first became a Christian, I quickly was filled with the Spirit. I received spiritual gifts and heard God's voice in the whisper, but very audibly. Years later, after many trials, I feel disconnected and no longer feel the Holy Spirit. I desperately want to reconnect, but feel helpless. How do I reconnect? You know something? I actually went a long time without speaking in tongues. Like I say, that thing happened to me way back when, where, where, where this guy prayed for two of us, she received it, I didn't. So what that is to say is on one hand, that might be exactly how the Holy Spirit works. Someone could lay hands on you and, and I've heard plenty of stories where it happens exactly like that. It didn't happen for me on that day, but it did another day. It did another day where actually someone prayed for me and I did speak in tongues at this worship thing when I was in college. And for whatever reason, I had, uh, and I did that, it was a very special day, but then I kind of had doubts about the whole thing, and I was like, I don't even know what that was when I look back on it, and I just kind of left it in the corner of my mind, corner of my memory, and um, anyways, so the question was, like, you want more intimacy with God. Um, I started speaking in tongues recently, again, after probably like 10 years of doing it, almost not at all, uh, and recently, um, I had a certain day where I was on a prayer walk and I remember feeling like, God, I just want more intimacy with you. It's just something I really want. And I had a meeting that night uh, with Barb from the prayer team and she had prayed over me and I spoke in tongues. And actually I've been doing it like almost every day since then. It's just been a way that I connect with God. And I'll be honest, sometimes it doesn't feel like power. I'm, I, I'm, I'm just being honest. It doesn't always feel like this big like, Sometimes it just feels like I have something on my chest and it just kind of is a way of praying and it just kind of comes out. And, uh, and there's more to it than that. There's more things I could say about how this gift has worked in my life. But all that to say is, uh, the question, you desire more. You desire more intimacy. The spiritual gifts play a role in that. And again, I'm not saying that you're going to receive the gift of tongues today if you ask, but you should ask. For that and the gift of prophecy and for essentially more of the Holy Spirit to act and come in whatever way he wants. Here's something. We're going to have the prayer team come up again soon. And uh, anyone can come up and just ask for a blessing, more of the Holy Spirit. If you have a specific gift on your mind, if you have a specific gift on your mind saying, I really want more prophecy, they can ask that for you on your behalf. We're not going to promise that it's going to happen on that day because... Again, the mighty wind hasn't happened the way that I want, and God has his own plan, his own will. Um, but all that to say is ask. Ask for more. Ask for more. Ask for more. I got an email from someone last week saying, and this is something that perhaps can challenge us, whenever the, the prayer team comes up and I say, you can come up and if you want more, you can come up, she said, basically, why do I always stay in my seat? And why do so many of us stay in our seat? And, and you know what? I'm not trying to guilt you but it is worth asking a question. Um, is it out of self-sufficiency, lack of desire, or is it just out of a contentment of like, God hears my prayers, I don't necessarily feel, like you don't need the prayer team to pray for you, I get that, 
but anytime someone's willing to pray for me, I'll take it. So now I'm rambling. I know we have another question over here. I told yeah. you we might go just a little over today. I'll just, I'll just add to that. Um, uh, part of, I learned a song in, uh, in, at this conference, and part of the chorus was just, Holy Spirit, would you come? And it was in my head constantly um, throughout the next couple of weeks after the conference. And uh, I was crossing a really busy intersection and just like singing that in my head. And it was kind of like a prayer that was just like, a constant with me as I was going about my day, not doing anything special, just singing that in my head. Um, and I was crossing this really busy intersection and I got about midway and it just hit me that God was with me. Like it was just a really profound sense of God is crossing the street with me. And of course I was crossing the street and I only have a certain amount of time to get across there and Vancouver drivers are not cool on waiting for people. So I couldn't do anything about it except keep walking, but it was just this special moment. And I had just been through my, like, through my quiet heart prayer, just asking for more of God and then boom, there he was. And so I would just say, ask and keep asking. Be like the, the insistent widow that we read about in the Bible. Like keep asking for that connection and keep doing what you can in order to, uh, to connect. And then God, God will be faithful. And that's, this is what he wants to do. He wants to connect with us. And so he'll be faithful for that. Absolutely. There is another yeah. question over here. Hold on. One more thing in the same conversation. There is, I meant to say this earlier, there is something unique about the spiritual gift of tongues as in none of the other spiritual gifts that I know of can be used when you're alone. Um, the one who speaks in tongue edifies himself. And, and the one who prophesies edifies the group. So in that saying prophecy is better. For the group, it's better. But there is something unique about being able to edify yourself. And I just say that as in like, um, it, is a, it is a good gift. It is something to desire. I know for a lot of people, they actually have a weird feeling about tongues. Like, uh, and maybe, like when I started as a, as a Christian, there were plenty of examples I saw of people using tongues in a way that wasn't biblical, okay? Where you had people just kind of speaking in tongues, there was no order to it. It kind of seemed like people were just kind of trying to draw attention to themselves without any sort of message. And I thought to myself, those people are weird. I don't want anything to do with that, okay? And... Uh, I just want to say there is a biblical way to practice this gift. So I, I want us to be a church that is hungry and open to all of the gifts of the Spirit without becoming weird. <laughs> As in there is an orderly way to do this. That's exactly what Peter says. Or Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed. Okay, desire these gifts. But everything should be done in order. Okay, go ahead. Uh, my name's Roald. Uh, so from what I understand, to do it the orderly way is would be speaking in tongue when there's a translator? Um, th let's clarify that. An, an interpreter. So what interpreter. that would mean, okay. what that would mean is, I mean, you don't really know if there's an interpreter until you give it a shot, right? Well, so that's what I'm coming that's what you're to. Getting my at? second question is, yeah. our brother here uh, shared with us that he speaks in tongues. You shared with us that you speak in tongues. How do we go about finding out if there's somebody here that can interpret? Okay, good question. So the way that it's laid out in 1 Corinthians is um, 
Like I just read, he says, when, when each of you come together, someone has a hymn, someone has a revelation, someone has a tongue. So people who speak in tongues can pray in tongues whenever they want, okay? But this seems to be something different. Just as someone might have a sense of like a hymn, there's a hymn that's just heavy on my heart. Or, or there's a word, there's a scripture that's heavy on my heart. I feel it. I just feel like this is appropriate. This is worth sharing. In this case, it seems to me when the group comes together, someone might feel like, hey, there is a tongue that's heavy on my heart that I feel like I want to, it seems like it might be God wanting to speak to us. And in that context, someone would be like, okay, let's hear it. Let's hear it for a few, you know, let's hear it for five or 10 seconds or more and see. And then you might ask the group, does anyone have a sense where you feel like God is showing them what it means? That's the way it seems to be laid out in Corinthians. Now, I will be honest. I have never seen that happen. I have never seen tongue interpreted, but at the same time, I have never seen the church practice it like that. I've never seen it said, hey, here's a tongue. Can everyone, anyone interpret it? I've never see seen that. Something, Charlie? The same way we have a period of question if we had a period of speaking in tongues that would last, let's say, a few minutes, and in those few minutes, maybe somebody would get up and uh, explain to us. You know, it, it's, it's actually a great point, because that's the thing. Like, uh, someone might ask the question, hey, if you're open to this, and someone can do this, is there ever an avenue where they even could? And I would say, yeah, this has already been on my mind this Wednesday. This Wednesday, we will continue this conversation. Um, and if anyone does feel like they have a tongue that is more than just a prayer language that could be a message for the church, there'll be an opportunity to go ahead and say that. And, uh, and then I'll ask the question, does anyone feel like they have a sense of what this means? And if not, then we would say, hey, uh, we'll save that for another time. And if someone does feel like they have a message of what that means, then we would listen and consider it together. You see, there's an orderly way to do this that Paul lays out. Um, All right. Because uh, we're on this topic of tongues, I'm going to do some rapid fire. Okay. Well, so let's try, do it. try to. Try to. Um, if you're praying and speaking in tongues, how do you know what you're saying to God? How do you know what you're praying? Oh, uh, you don't know. That's exactly what it says in 1 Corinthians. Um, the spirit prays, but the mind is unfruitful. And he says it's good to pray. Pray with your mind. Pray, pray with your mind. Isn't like that's not the only way you should pray. But I can tell you, someone who thinks a lot and sometimes gets mentally exhausted, sometimes I want to pray and just let my mind be unfruitful. My mind just needs a rest, you know? So yeah, you don't know. That's the whole thing. Oh, but he but actually says, spirit. but if you pray in tongues, also pray that you may be able to interpret it. That's never happened to me. I've never gotten any sense of what I've been saying, but there is a prayer that you can pray, God, show me what I just said. And perhaps he will answer that. And it's the spirit praying on our behalf. Uh, yes, that's yeah. right. Yep, yeah. Yep. Do you think that tongues as a prayer language is something we should all have? Um, on one hand, uh, Paul does say, I wish all of you would speak in tongues. But in the same letter, he seems to very clearly say, do all prophesy, do all speak in tongues, are all apostles, are all teachers. In the same way, I could say, hey, I wish everyone was able to teach the Bible. I wish everyone knew how to teach the Bible, you know, but we're not all made to do like what I do on a Sunday. It would be great if everyone could in the sense where it's good. So I would say that no, how is the question clearly asked? Um, should we all have the prayer should language? Should we all depends. have a prayer language? I think this is good. If you don't want one, that's something to work out between you and God, honestly. There, there's questions to ask, like why wouldn't you want that? Okay, I think it is a good desire. 
prophecy, a very good desire, something we're told to want. But that's for me, that's just like me saying, hey, there should always be a sound of a rushing wind when the church gets together because that's what happens in the book of Acts. I'm sorry, I listened. There wasn't any sound, okay? No, I, I, um, Chris McCooey, for five years, prayed and wanted the gift of tongues. And he's talked before about how the Holy Spirit fell on him. Five years. Like, for me to say we all should is to make it sound like we're in control of this. We're not in control. We can ask. But it's his will. I think we should all ask. I think that's fair. All right, this is going to be our last question. So with relation to interpreting tongues and or prophecy, how do we know that, um, that it's a true message from God? Or there was a follow-up question. If there's two people who've prophesied different things, what do we do about that? Well, that's exactly it. Um, in the sense of we have the scriptures. If, here's something. All scripture is God-breathed and sufficient for every work of righteousness. In the sense of prophecy for the church is not needed. As in, if, if I don't get this certain vision from, you know, so-and-so, then my, my walk is not going to be able to be fruitful. Wrong. Like, the Bible is sufficient. Prophecy can be helpful, though. It can be helpful. And if there are two conflicting words of prophecy, what that means is, first, we test it by the Bible. But maybe both of them are, are biblical. Maybe there is no, like, you know, maybe when someone says a message, like, you should go to China, and someone else says, you should go, you know, to Florida. And you know what? I am not bound by either one of those. I don't have to go. If I don't go to China, I'm not sinning. Okay? Because it's not in the scriptures. But when you said go to Florida, that's the same dream I had. Like, that resonates with me. Like, prophecy, I've noticed, has a way of deep resonance because God has a way of speaking to us collectively. Longer conversation than what I have time for right now. But I think it's very important to say, do not despise prophecy. As in, some people hear this conversation and they're like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Don't do that. Don't despise prophecy, but test everything. Be careful. Be orderly. Allow it. Welcome it. More Holy Spirit. More Holy Spirit. Tongues, prophecy, gifts. I want it all. But we're going to be careful, and we're going to be biblical, and we're going to be orderly. And uh, that's my goal. Yep. All right, let's pray.